Well, for those of you that were here on Sunday, we were talking about the perfect and love and spiritual gifts, and I just taught that lesson to the middle school, and by the time they all were like, I just had to fast forward, so I'm hoping not to have to fast forward any part of tonight, but we do come to 1 Corinthians 14. This is, I believe, Dealing with Spiritual Gifts, Part 5. And I know that there is some difficult information. When you come to this chapter especially, you start to wonder, whoa, why would Paul say that? Does that really go along with the argument that he has been saying, right? Um, Understanding the context is super helpful. Like, look at verse 5. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Well, we've already learned that not everyone gets to speak in tongues. And not only does not everyone get to, God doesn't want everyone to. And so why would, why would, I mean, why would he, why would he say that, right? And even um, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And you're like, well, it's the same thing. Like, I'm supposed to earnestly desire something that I, I can't do. And so I'm going to walk through some kind of introduction stuff, and I hope that it'll be helpful for you. And we can use that as the lens with which to view the rest of the content in chapter 14. And I'm going to get the ball rolling, and then uh, Craig's going to teach on uh, Sunday. Uh, So anything I mess up, uh, he's going to clean up. I'm going to get to maybe verse 2, and then then Craig's got the rest. (laughs) No, I I do want to apologize, and and you were very kind to me, because I said it was was Anna that was the, the flighty sister in frozen, but it was her sister Elsa later that showed the true display of love. It, it was backwards, remember? It was Anna that showed that, yeah, okay, good, Taggin's with me. Okay, either you're like me and you slept since then and haven't thought of frozen and so you missed that, but I just, I just wanted to start out and clarify and say I'm sorry, okay? And um, I hope that you're like me, you've pretended that frozen 2 never happened. Um, except for that song by Olaf about getting older and lost in the woods, which was excellent, that song too, okay? So, anyways, let us begin. Defining the gift of prophecy. And we haven't talked a lot about prophecy yet, but it's important because verse 1 says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And this section is exalting prophecy as, look, That's the one that you guys should value. And he's devaluing tongues in a certain extent. So we would like to define it first of all. When it comes to the gift of prophecy, there are two options. The first would be, some would define this gift as the gift to proclaim the word of God effectively. That's what prophecy is. And so with that, some would say there still is a gift of prophecy, but it simply means the gift to proclaim the word of God effectively. 
This does not include giving prophecies about future events. That ability was held by the prophets, not by people with the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy that we are dealing with in 1 Corinthians 14 does not reveal new revelation from God, but instead people with the gift of prophecy will proclaim and set forth what has already been revealed. Okay? I'm going to tell you, I do not believe in option one, but I I want to present both sides so that you can see that. Someone that does believe option one is John MacArthur. And John MacArthur, uh, I quote him often, even in today's lesson, right? He says that believers today with the gift of prophecy are empowered to speak forth, not according to their personal subjective faith, but according to God's already revealed objective faith. So John MacArthur is not saying that people are getting zapped with new revelation and then declaring it. He is simply defining the gift of prophecy as being able to read the word of God and then proclaim it. Okay, so that's, that's one option. Option two is that the gift of prophecy is the gift of proclaiming God's special revelation. When you think of Elijah and Elisha, they were prophets. Okay, when you think of the Old Testament, the prophets who received a word of the Lord and then declared the word of the Lord, right? That is the option that I believe, and that is the option. It still fits with our text for today. For instance, what do you call someone that teaches? A teacher. The questions get harder, by the way. What do you call someone that pastors? Pastor. What do you call someone that prophesies? Yeah, I I don't know how you get around that. So this kind of splitting hairs where you can have the gift of prophecy, but you're not a prophet, that doesn't really make sense to me. Gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists. And those apostles and prophets laid the foundation And now you have evangelists, pastors, and teachers that carry on the work that is there. How many gifts do we need to proclaim the word of God effectively? Would that not be teaching? Would that not be exhortation? Taking the word of God and encouraging others? I don't know why we need another gift that does the same thing. You can still understand and apply today's passage and others if the gift of prophecy is still the gift of prophecy that was in the Old Testament. Essentially, when Paul writes, especially that you may prophesy, he is saying that the church should value the new direct revelation that God is giving to those that have the gift of prophecy. Because remember, the canon of Scripture is not yet complete. And so they should value that. But for us now, we don't have that gift of prophecy. But we value the gifts that are similar to that, all right? Um, How did they use it? Why did they have it? And why do we don't? I mean, someone in the service, we know it was pretty chaotic in Corinth. But basically, someone would say, I have a word of the Lord. And they would declare that word. And we don't have it anymore because we go back to chapter 13, talking about the idea of the sign gifts are over. The church is established. We have the complete canon of Scripture right now. All right, in um, Corinth, this was written about 55 AD. So they didn't have possibly like the book of Galatia. 
they might not have the book of Ephesians, okay? They certainly didn't have the book of Revelation because that happened in 90 AD. So you have this time period where they know in part and they see in part. And so God gave the churches prophets to hear his word and to understand it and to say it. And then eventually the inspired word of God was passed around and recorded and put in canon so we no longer needed it. All right. The church was to be wise and discerning. First John 4, 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit. So if someone says, I'm a prophet, I have a word of the Lord, you are to try it and test it. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. If someone is a prophet and they say something contrary to what we already know about God, um, I have a word of the Lord and it is you are saved by good works. Well, we, we know that that's, that's not true, right? It says... Uh, there are many false prophets have gone out into the world. So, I love you if you side with option one, all right? I love you, not anymore, not any less if you side with option two, but I just want you to understand, okay? I believe that he is talking about this church literally had people with the gift of prophecy that received direct revelation because the canon was not complete, and they were allowed to communicate that direct revelation, okay? Now, what about the gift of tongues? Gift of tongues. Gift of tongues, and I don't know who said this because I took it from Lance's lesson like nine years ago. It was, so I'm going to say it was Lance. Um, it is the supernatural ability given by the Holy Spirit for a believer to speak in a foreign language that he or she has never known. You took Spanish 1 and 2 in 7th and 8th grade, so you can say, all right, you do not have the gift of tongues, all right? You have an incomplete knowledge of a foreign language. The best way to understand what the gifts is, and we've referred to it, but I want us to actually go there. Acts chapter 2. We have here a perfectly written and recorded event where tongues were done correctly, Okay? When you look at the rest of the New Testament, even outside of the book of Corinthians, there, there's not a lot of talking about this, okay? But here we have one of the one times that the gift of tongues was, was recorded is Acts chapter 2 and what's happening. When the day of Pentecost had come, remember Christ had ascended. He said the Holy Spirit would come. They were to wait in Jerusalem Okay, Pentecost, this huge celebration in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit came. It says they were together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with one another, sorry, to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. Well, why? Well, the Pentecost was a, a big celebration. So they all came back for Pentecost. And when this occurred, verse 6, the crowd came together and were bewildered. Why were they bewildered? They were not bewildered because people were speaking stuff they could not understand. Most charismatic, well, all, Tongues are gibberish. That's not a real language, okay? 
But these people were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished saying, what are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia. Some word I can't pronounce. Pamphylia, Egypt, the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? That's a sign gift. Gets the attention, gives validity to the messenger, and it accomplished what it needed to do. There's no jibber-jibber here. Real languages. So when we get to the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians 14, we know that it's talking about the same thing. Verse 11, If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. You... Paul says, when it comes to the gift of tongues, if I don't know what they're saying and they don't know what I'm saying, that's not really the gift of tongues. John MacArthur, see, I love him. All right, I disagreed with him in slide two, and now I'm here in slide three. All right, this was, this was foundational for me to understand what's happening in chapter 14. It says, after presenting love as the more excellent way above all ministries and gifts, Paul directly and forcefully confronts the Corinthians in regard to their sin against love in misunderstanding and misusing the gift of tongues. So 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, but it's speaking about the church and about spiritual gifts. You use them in love. You don't be jealous and bicker and argue. You, you put love as the, the greater way, first and foremost. But the church at Corinth was doing gifts, but not out of love. It was selfishness. It was self-exaltation. And so, remember, this book is about correction and condemnation. So he is condemning how they were doing those things. So it goes on to say, believers there had so abused the gift that they rivaled Babel in confusion of speaking. And the apostle devotes an entire chapter to the problem. The terms used in this, right, for tongue or tongues, Paul uses so frequently in chapter 14, they were commonly used in his day to describe pagan ecstatic speech. So we'll look at this, but the tongue that he is condemning them for is this pagan gibberish speech, not the true gift of tongues. In the church at Corinth, much of the tongue speaking had taken on the form and flavor of those pagan ecstasies. 
Services were bedlam and chaotic with little worship and little edification taking place. They, the church, looked like pagan worship services. And Paul's trying to correct that. He's trying to change that. So here we have two commands. And they're both found in verse 1. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Pursue means to strive, to aspire to. Right? He just had the beautiful chapter. And he says, don't forget about that. Pursue love. But while you're pursuing love, it is good and okay for you to desire spiritual gifts. Don't get it that I'm saying don't use spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, good. The way you're using them, bad. The word desire can be positively intense. It could mean positively and intensely interested in something. Or it could be to have intense negative feelings over another's achievements or uh, success. Essentially, he's saying this. You need to pursue love. And I especially want you to prioritize prophecy. Prioritize prophecy. Desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And you're like, okay, rock on. That's what I'm going to do now. I mean, Paul said it, right? Remember that whole tan method? The then, the always, the now? All right? Remember the head covering. You were cool with that being then. This is also the then. But there's an always and a now that we take away from it. And when it says you may prophesy, you're like, whoa, Paul, but not all of them have the gift of prophecy. So why would you tell them to especially desire that? Well, this is the plural you. Y'all, okay? You didn't know y'all was biblical, but here it is. But y'all may prophesy. That means the church as a whole. Your church, you should have people that, have prophes- that can prophesy. Those are the ones you should listen to. As a church, stop running around and catering so much to the tongues and cater and listen to the prophecy that's there, that's there right in front of you. Now, we have the two reasons for those commands, the two reasons. Prophecy edifies the body. Prophecy edifies the body. He's doing a compare contrast between prophecy and the gift of tongues. And he's saying, you should desire, your church should desire prophecy. But why? Well, first of all, it edifies the body. What was our one rule that regulates in 1 Corinthians 12, 7? When it comes to spiritual gifts, you can cheat. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's it. So if someone is using a spiritual gifts but it is for themselves, is that for the common good? No. So therefore, it's either not a real gift or you're not using it the way that God would want you to. 
And that's in response, even today, charismatics who would say they speak the gift of tongues for self-edification. There is no self-edification when it comes to the gift of tongues. He goes on to say, For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Now, what's interesting about this, okay? The word God is theos. Sometimes it is accurately translated as God, the one true God. It's the same word that can also be translated as lowercase g, gods. And so while it looks like it's saying, he who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men, he's speaking to God. What he's really saying is, their charismatic, jibber-jabber, ecstatic use of tongues is not speaking to men. It's really playing into the pagan gods that were prevalent in that society. All right? Just like sometimes um, there's a capital S to spirit and sometimes there's a lowercase. Did you know that's not inspired? We're reading the context to decide if it's the Holy Spirit or if it's just spirit. The same thing with this word right here to God. For no one speaks in a, or sorry, for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. And you're like, well, that sounds cool. Look, I thought prophecy was supposed to be better. All right? You've got me speaking to God. None of y'all understand, but I'm speaking mysteries, baby. He's being sarcastic with this. He's saying your jibber-jabber that you're using, it's part of a, a false pagan worship system. And the mysteries are just your gibberish. Just your gibberish. But one who prophesies speaks to men. And you're like, well, that's not as cool as speaking to God. Remember, the gift is for what? The building up of the body of church. So you use it to speak to men so that they may be edified for edification and exhortation and consolation. The jibber-jabber that you speak does nothing. It accomplishes nothing. But the prophecy, when you take the direct revelation of God's word and you speak it to the congregation, they are built up, they are encouraged, and they're comforted. They're consoled. That's good. That's what you want. And you can think back to the Old Testament. Those who had a word of the Lord and the comfort that it would bring. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. And you're like, yeah, I knew it. Self-edification. Proved it. Boom. To understand the whole chapter. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But is that what happened in Acts 2? When is the only time we see anyone speaking in tongues? Acts chapter 2. Who was edified? Everybody that was listening. So is Paul crazy here? What, I mean, what's, what's going on? Well, one who prophesies edifies the church. He is correcting and condemning the bad use of tongues. And he's saying the way you do stuff, you're just doing it to make yourself feel better. But that's not the right way. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues and you're like, okay, cool, you got to that, nice. He is promoting the accurate use of tongues. He's like, look, I'm not anti-tongue. I, I, I agree with it. And you'll notice here, 
It says, I wish that you all spoke in tongues. But in verse 2, it says tongue. In verse 4, it says tongue. Here, it says tongues. Slight nuance, but he is speaking of the real, true, actual gift of tongues in this verse. He is speaking out against the jibber-jabber tongue in the other verses. And he says, look, hey, I'm not a Debbie Downer. I I wish all of us really could speak in tongue. But even more that you would prophesy. Well, why? Greater is the one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues. Unless he interprets so the church may be out of, receive out of, And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought we were all equal. You told me I was a pinky and I'm the same thing as the nose. How come he's greater? He is a greater benefit to the church because he brings true edification. Okay? But... If someone really did come to the church and they really did have the gift of tongues, they could say it, but you better have someone who can explain it to the rest of us. Because then it doesn't do any good. It doesn't do any good there. There's no way to be edified. So prophecy edifies the body. So clearly on the flip side, their tongues doesn't edify the body. Their tongues doesn't edify the body. Even in Acts 2, the real tongues, it was used as an evangelistic tool. That's what it was used at, to bring people to God, to point people to Christ. Here, their fake tongues clearly doesn't edify the body. It says, but now, brethren, if I come speaking to you in tongues, tongues, plural, What will I profit you unless I speak to you by either way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Look, if I I roll into your church and I really do speak the gift of tongues, but I'm just saying stuff. Hey, it's nice outside today. Isn't the weather great? You see that the sky today? Talk about blue. Just it's like there needs to be something to it. The the message that I'm giving, is, is it teaching you? Is it, is it prophecy? Is it knowledge? I mean, just saying the words. Hmm. Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? The instruments are used in a certain way. And Edwin can tell you all about it later. He probably plays like five or six different instruments. In the same way, tongues has to be played, used, utilized for the plan and the purpose that God has. Otherwise, it is a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, you could say. So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into air. I know, I am technically speaking into air right now, but it is a message that is going out to you, right? He's saying it's pointless. What you're doing doesn't do anything and it doesn't accomplish anything. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages 
in the world. So for our friend who says that no, tongues is not a specific language. Please take them here. And many great kinds of languages in the world and no kind is without meaning. Now some of you, all right, you probably came up with your own fake language once upon a time, all right? I know some of you probably throwing around a little elvish, a little dwarvish, okay, that type of thing, all right? Every real language has a real meaning and a real purpose to it. It says, if then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. I don't know you, you don't know me. I mean, what, what are we doing here? I don't get it. There's no benefit. There's no profit. So put ourselves in the shoes of the church at Corinth. They would stroll in on a Sunday morning. Some dude will get up and just start speaking in tongues and no one has a clue what they're saying. But the people in the audience go, yeah, look at that. Or they go, man, I wish I could do that. Or they go, me, 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 me. Yeah, I'm up. I got, I got it next. And there was no checks and balances. Okay? Why do you think people fake the gift of tongues and not the gift of prophecy? For attention? For attention? Yeah? Isaiah? For pride? Yeah? Ben? You can't tell what's wrong with the tongue. If I get up and say, I have a prophecy. We will play human pinball tonight. Yes. And then we don't play human pinball. Then you know that I'm what? I'm a liar and a fake. Hmm. Uh-oh. In the Old Testament, if someone proclaimed a prophecy and it did not come true, what happened to them? You killed them, Right? So that's why the gift of tongues is more applauded and lauded because can you prove that it's not a real language with what they're saying? Verse 12 says, So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. That's what he sandwiches this with. That's what he understands this with, all right? So with our application, as we wrap this up, there's something I want you to know, something I want you to do, and something I want you to understand. It's actually no understand and do, okay? Know that your pursuit of love translates into all facets of life and ministry. All facets of life and ministry. What do I mean by that? He commands them to pursue love. When it comes to your giftedness, your service, you do it with love. A love for God and a love for others. There's no off switch for the Christian when it comes to how we act to other people. So think of how you serve, where you serve. What giftedness do you use for God's glory? Do you pursue love in that? Do you prioritize love? I mean, think of, think of big church, right? If you were orchestrating the events of big church, maybe you would tweak or change or do something a little bit different, okay? But we are all coming together in love 
to worship the Lord Jesus Christ together. As we pursue spiritual gifts, we pursue love. Understand the importance of thorough, contextual Bible study. I know that you know 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that I got to do the needeth, not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know that, right? But do you apply that? Has your understanding of chapter 14 changed since you've been sitting in that chair? Yeah. It should, right? But instead of me doing the work, I would like for you to do the work. And as we've been reading the minor prophets, some of you probably just skipped until the next one. There are some very difficult concepts to understand. So you gotta, you, you gotta dive in. You gotta dive in. I would challenge you, back there by Danham, Vanna Danham, all right, is our little book cart, okay? I do not know if I've ever seen one of you take a book from the book cart, but we still buy the books and we put the books and we, we roll it in and we roll it out. And you don't have to go, I'm getting a book, everyone look at me, I'm awesome. But on the cart, we put Pastor Tom's book, The Case for Cessationism. And so as clearly as I have tried to say these things, he says it in an infinitely more succinct and clear way than me. And so that's a great book. Go home, read it, share it with a friend. Bring it back sometime. That would be great. Are you going to take on that challenge? Are you going to learn? But where sometimes I even had someone ask the question like, but what about, I heard tongues is for self-edification, you know, 1 Corinthians 14. Well, when you start to dive in and read and learn, it becomes clear, right? comes clear. Thirdly, do prioritize the proper use of spiritual gifts in the church. There are two commands. Pursue love. And you're like, check, got it. You beat me over the head with that. I'm going to do it. But desire, yearn earnestly, abundantly spiritual gifts. We want the church to utilize the giftedness. And God doesn't want you to moan or to be jealous about what you have. He wants you to use your giftedness for his glory. And when we do that, we function as a body. We're all part of the same team. We're pulling the same rope. The gospel advances. The kingdom of God moves forward. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your truth. I pray for each one of these young men and women that they would love your son Jesus and would follow you. I pray that they would be diligent students of the word, that they would come up to their own conclusions through the illumination of your Holy Spirit with the word of God, that they wouldn't just take the things that we as leaders say as faith's value, even though we appreciate how they listen, but they would do their own research and do their own work. And our kingdom will be stronger for it, having men and women that can accurately handle your word of truth. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray.
Amen.